wasn't his fault, but he's got to maximize the points. Final lap. Yes, Ryan Dungey about to make history. Final corner. KTM has waited for this very moment. History is being made here at Chase Field. Ryan Dungey and KTM have won a Monster Energy AMA Supercross and FIM World Championship event. A Pulp MX Network production. A series of the most exciting action imaginable. Welcome to the Leanne Re-Raceables on PulpMX.com. Mathis and Weed revisit the instant classics from yesteryear, spotlighting those historic moto moments that simply never grow old. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the Liat Re-Raceables podcast. Thank you for listening. Thanks to Liat for coming on board. Presented by Maxis and the folks at Scott, we're going to talk about 2012 Phoenix Supercross, uh, second round of the 2012 series. And the race itself, not that memorable, but we'll tell you why we're going to talk about this race in a second here. Thanks to the folks at Liat for coming on board. If you want to save with Liat, uh, email us using the contact form on pulpamex.com, and we'll send you a code, and you can go to liat.com, and you can save big time with those guys. So thank you to Liat for coming on board. Different people ride for different reasons, yet there's a common denominator that binds everyone who puts their body on the line for the sheer enjoyment of it. And this is what Liat offers as a brand. They make protective wear, helmets, goggles, riding gear, knee braces, boots, neck braces, covering riders from head to toe for both moto and mountain bike. But what Liat really stands for is the promise of things to come. They're in the business of making sure that you have the confidence and the equipment to push yourself faster, harder, and further than you could go. Visit them at Liat.com. Speaking of pushing yourself faster, harder, and further than you thought you could go, my co-host on the Liat Re-Raceables, Jason Wygan. What's up, Weege? Yeah, and also what is that? What I do? Do I push it? Yeah, further and faster than you yeah, the, I could go. Yeah, absolutely. No, you live life oh. on the edge. I, I do. I mean, I'm all over. Uh, I was lurking noobs this morning, and uh, we decided to time this podcast out perfectly because I'm in California. KTM will be debuting their new factory edition bike, which by the time you hear this pod, you'll have seen it, you'll have heard all about it. But this is a concept that basically started with this guy, and this year it was to get Ryan Dudgy <laughs> to accept. Racing a KTM and Supercross, which had been historically horrible in the big class for the brand. And this is um, super shocking. The race itself, Phoenix 2012, not that compelling. But what it meant, Dungey and KTM getting a win was absolutely huge. Yeah, that's why we're doing this race. This is the first win for KTM in the 450 Supercross class. And, uh, you know, obviously they had won a moto in the 450 class. Oh, yeah. I don't know if you're the aware great, of that, Weech, but yeah. Great Justin Brayton. Out, noted outdoor Machine Warrior, Justin Brayton. Right. So they had a 450 moto win in motocross. They had won plenty in 125 slash 250 supercross. They had won uh, 125 motocross overalls, uh, a bunch of those, starting with starting with Kelly Smith oh. in 2000. Oh, okay. mm-hmm. um, but they had never conquered the 450 supercross class, and uh, this was their first win. They went and signed the 2010 champion Ryan Dungey uh, off of Suzuki, and uh, this race, uh, Dungey got third at the opener. 
Round two, he takes off uh, for the win. And we're going to have Ryan Dungey on the show to talk about it. That's that's looking uh, looking promising to talk to Dunge about this because there's a lot behind the scenes that I want to talk to him about and that I want to ask him about. But um, for now, uh, again, uh, thanks to the folks at Liat. Thank you to the folks at Maxxis Tires, SGB, Maxxis Honda team. A. Ray, Cade, uh, Jace, Kessler, sure to provide a lot of entertainment this year. And the MXSTs used by Jeremy McGrath, who will be on one of these shortly. He developed the MXSTs from Maxxis. And uh, so please check that out. If you haven't looked at Maxxis for a while for a tire, please check out Maxxis.com. Mountain bike tires as well. And uh, UTV tires and trailer tires and all lots of sorts of things. Light truck tires. Also, the folks at Scott Motorsports. Uh, Johnny Knowles and everybody over there. Scott Sports has been providing the best goggle technology in all motorsport disciplines for over 50 years. They're the global leader in innovation, technology, and design. They've always been uh, proud to support champions from Pro Circuit, Jason Anderson, Caleb Russell, Chad Weenan, Walker Fowler. Uh, they're also excited to relive their iconic moments in this sport with the Reraceables podcast, many of which have included Scott Goggles. Uh, and we got one of those coming up too, Weege. Uh, so. Oh, maybe one of one of our guy John Knowles' uh, shiny moments. Yeah. And uh, the rider, actually, that we're going to talk to for that one will even tie into that this show. Yeah. I will explain in a moment. Okay, yes. thank you. Uh, yep. Scott, the only goggle made in the USA, so thanks to those guys. So briefly, again, we'll talk about the race here in a second, but let's set this up. So KTM uh, entered the, uh, uh, the highly competitive Supercross Motocross world in 2000 with their first factory team. I was on that team. Uh, it was uh, Roderick Thane and uh, Andy Harrington, Keith Johnson, uh, Donovan Mitchell, who got hurt before the season. Uh, 2001, uh, we get a little bit more respectable. GL comes on board. Um, it, it comes on with um, Brock Sellards. Who I yes, just I listened to your Sellers pod. You were shocked that they could get. <laughs> I was, but listen to what he said. He didn't really want to sign. He with didn't KTM. even want to be on the team. <laughs> no, nah, his brother just signed the contract. Yeah, man, we just got to we just got to take this, Brock. Um, so I was. Uh, so then we got a little more respectable. Uh, I left the team. Larry Brooks came in. Michael Lessey came in. Big signing. Mike won races outdoors for the team. Got second in the points outdoors until he got a penalty, and things were rolling all along. And then I don't know. Each I guess somewhere along the line financially, uh, KTM's like, yeah, we're not doing this anymore, and they farmed the team out to MDK. A couple of subpar years for those guys, Travis Preston, Josh Summy, Will Hahn, Marty, um, you know, just so, so years Brayton, with that. With that. Brighton. Only man that could, you know, make that, that program, brought it to the top. Got and that so as quickly, as quickly as KTM had come in and looked yeah. to be trending well and bikes were innovative and things were going okay, still no 450 Supercross success, then they're gone. And for uh, at one point, Tommy Searle is factory KTM, and everything's okay. And then KTM goes away. They put him on MDK because they have to pay him, and they have a contract with him. And, and Searle's, uh, the, at one point, the only KTM rider uh, factory supported out there. And then, I believe there was even a um, – wasn't there a lawsuit even filed by Searle? Uh, and you dealt with this. We talked about with Scott Sheik when Scott Sheik was supposed to be on Factory Honda and then Factory Honda's 125 program moved to FMF and Sheik was not happy because he's like, this is not what this is not the factory team. And that's what my contract says. Uh, I believe Searle tried to sue KTM to say, no, 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 no. You can't just move me to a satellite MDK team and say, now that's the factory team. I'm supposed to ride for the factory. 
not yeah. a satellite and, team. And I did a podcast with yeah. Tommy, and he talks about this, and I don't remember what it was. So my bad. Okay, but good, good sleuthing. Thank you. Yes, but um, I only know about the lawsuit because you know the, these are California records, and someone had sent the link of like, look at this, Tommy Searle suing them. He ended up writing for them, so I guess they figured it's it out. Something figured it out. Yeah, but, but so, we are just trying to explain how inflames this program was. Right. So then, I, and I think when MDK pulled out, there was no KTM at all going on for a year. I believe. Jeez. Um, Jeez. So they hire, they come back for 2011. They they poach Roger DeCoster and Ian Harrison from Suzuki, and they come back now. I guess you know the the guys in Europe wanted to. Meanwhile, the whole time they're winning in, in Europe, nothing is changing. So the team comes in with a splash, disappears. Gets run by uh, another team and then goes away, I think, for in- one year entirely outside of Tommy Searle. And then uh, Roger and Ian get hired. And 2011, they get hired after 2010. They uh, Ryan Dungey wins a championship for Suzuki. KTM poaches Ian and Roger. Roger told me in typical Roger fashion that uh, Suzuki didn't believe that he had a real uh, contract offer for that much money. And they just <laughs> figured he would stay there. And he just said, I'm leaving. And they were like, what do you mean? And he's like, I told you guys. Uh, wow. I remember talking to Roger at uh, either Lake Elsinore or one of the California Nationals, the last one. Mm-hmm. What would have been? Would have been. I don't know if we were at Paula then. I think it was Lake Elsinore. So when he was like at the end yeah, of the Suzuki in, term, we were in the Suzuki Lounge. Yeah, yeah. It. Uh, I think the news broke at Steel City, which yep. maybe wasn't the finale. Maybe nope. that was the next last round that particular year. Yep. And uh, Davey was the first person. Coombs is the first person I heard it from, and it was shocking because yes. If I have this right, KTM did somewhat rebuild itself. You eventually had, like, Alessi kind of around. Like, they had a shell of a factory team back. But the idea that all of a sudden they were going to have the great Roger DeCoster yeah. working for them made well, no sense at all. In 2011, Roger's first year, Alessi's yep. there on a 350. Uh, yep. Ken Roxon's there uh, for Supercross only. Marvin is on a 250. Andrew Short. Is there on a 350 also? Still no 450 bikes. Um, and well, that, they had the carbureted 450 that Mike was going to make work. I thought he was on a 350. Remember? I thought he was on a 350 that year. Oh, wait. What's your. No, see, that's not. Okay, this is what it is. 2010, Mike ran the. Yes. I believe the 350 Outdoors, 2010. Uh, that was Navy 20, Seal? Uh, that's Navy Seal year? Yes, Navy Seal, Michael Essie, won a moto at Hangtown. Yep. Chad Reed won the other moto. Yep. You're like, okay, the whole season's going to be uh, Reed against Mike and neither won a moto again for the rest of the year. Yep. So that was Mike on the 350. And then I guess the Alessi felt the 350 wasn't working. So they did ask to race the 450 the next year, even though it was still an old non-fuel-injected bike. Uh, and that didn't work well either. Right. Okay. Yep. So yep. Uh, they got Shorty. 315 Supercross, not ideal. Um, he's testing. You were for ragging the team. on that bike instantly. You were ragging on that bike from Anaheim One of 2011. You yes. were ragging on. I remember the very first of the post-race podcasts we ever did was Anaheim One 2011. Me, oh. you, and Ping. Oh, really? And you were ragging on the bike instantly from one race. I, pr- I think I was proven right. I think I was proven I, right. I think you were. Yep. We did not ever see the 350 have success in Supercross. You couldn't, according to the guys that I talked to, like you couldn't ride it like a 450. You had to keep your momentum up. You had to go high in the corners. You had to do that kind of stuff. And then the dudes in the 450s could get you. They could cut underneath yeah. you. They could they could cut make make the track shorter. And yeah. you know it just worked better. They had more torque. They had more grunt. So yeah. Um, Roxon almost ironically beat Shorty on a 350 at Seattle yes, like yes. two years later. Right. Ironically enough, I yes. know right. <laughs> um, absolutely. So. Uh, those so they're, they're Roger and Ian, and they're just prepping 
everything for Dunge, uh, I imagine, right? I'm, I, we'll talk to Dunge here in a second, but uh, we'll, uh, we're going to get to the bottom of, of – of, and I don't know how much Dunge is going to talk about, but I want to find out when there was contact. Like, well, hey, I do know this. So, yeah, Dunge has a year left at Suzuki. Um, Mike you know, Webb. Ex- yep. He, yep. Dunge wins everything in 2010, 450 indoors and out, with Roger and Ian there. And then that year ends with Roger and Ian leaving. They've just had an unbelievable run. They've gone from Ricky Carmichael to Chad Reed wins the outdoor title in 09. Then Dunge moves up and wins both titles in 10. Really underrated, actually, that era from Carmichael 05 to 10, how good Suzuki was in that time. And then all of a sudden, the bombshell is that Roger is going to leave. They are leaving on top. They've just won 450 Supercross and Outdoors with a rookie, and Roger is leaving. And from what I've heard, and Dunge can confirm or deny, we'll see what he says. I think as soon as he was leaving, Dungey was like, uh, can I get out of my Suzuki deal and just come with you? And I believe Roger's like, we are not ready for you yet. Give us some time. Right. Don't even don't even consider getting out of your Suzuki deal. Because uh, Roger has said how, you know, there wasn't much to KTM's race program, I think, which would have been what? I guess the fall of 2010. Uh, they didn't have much. And what really confused us all is they did not even have a modern 450 bike. All their chips were in on this 350 deal, which wasn't working yeah. uh, for Supercross. They yep. had uh, this bike. I did a story on this bike. I talked to Ian Harrison on it. I talked to some people around it. Roger, one of them. This bike was an old Enduro motor they had. That, that The 450 SXF motor that Dunge eventually rides is based on an Enduro motor that they had to lighten up. They had to change the gear ratios. They had to, you know, they had to get rid of some weight and all of that to get this bike where it wanted to be. But they were like, we have a 450 motor. That's the good news, but it's an enduro model. That's the bad news, yeah. and we got to make this thing work. You know, so yeah. From what I can gather here, the, they were all in on the 350 for motocross, and at one point KTM had gone to all the other manufacturers and the FIM to try to get everyone to agree mm-hmm. to move to 350s. So I think they weren't even bothering developing a 450 motocross engine anymore. Now they did have a new 450 enduro engine coming, but it was. I guess never intended that they were going to be racing in motocross or supercross. They had the 350. They thought everybody else was going to switch. That didn't happen. And then that caught them out with, well, the only good bike we even have is a 350. And that's not ideal either. What are we going to do? So I guess it led them to take this Enduro motor and try to make it work. So the reason that I think Alessi was on a 350 in 2011, and you say he Mm -hmm. wasn't, was I was doing X-Brand goggles, and this was... This was at a national. I'm sure I was in the Alessi Motorhome with Tony and Mike and Danielle talking about the race and collecting goggles or whatever, and they were not happy with the bike, like very upset with the bike, saying that, you know, they can't compete. It's too slow, this and that. And this could have been the 450, but it makes my memory think it was a 350. Well, they did one of each. I believe they did 10 on the 350 and oh. 11 on the 450. Yeah. No, but this was 11, I thought. Oh, so, okay. So, but, but maybe not. But so – yeah. Then somebody knocked on the door and they said something like, Ian wants to see you. Ian Harrison wants to see one of you, either Tony or Mike or something. And Tony freaked out and was like, you tell those that we're not fucking riding this thing anymore. Things a piece of shit. The bike's a piece of shit. Everything's a piece of shit. (laughs) And I'm like going, "Uh." and then it turned out that Ian was standing right there. Nice. The door was open, but Ian was six inches that where Tony couldn't see him. And then that got really weird because then the the, the person at the door, and it might have been Danielle, but I didn't think it was, said, 
he's standing right here after oh, Tony great. after Tony lobbed two minutes of grenades at the piece of shit team and a piece of shit bike. <laughs> and I'm like, this is so awkward. Anyways, and I thought it was about oh. the 350. It was unbelievable. Yeah, it was, yeah. it was just amazing. So there was every conspiracy on <laughs> the 350 because Caroli was winning on it. Um, no prob in the GPs, uh, which I just learned recently at Caroli's retirement that everyone had thought, well, that mustn't be a 350 then. They must be cheating. Uh, so I guess uh, Adam Wheeler told me at the end of the year that KTM asked to have the bike ter- torn down so everyone could see it really was a 350. I, I still doubt it. <laughs> okay. I still doubt it. Look, maybe at that race it was torn down, it was a 350. But, dude, Antonio Caroli at Lakewood, his bike sounds as throaty as everybody else's bike, and he's jumping the uphill triple with no problem. Other yeah, 14, at altitude. At altitude. Yep. KTM guys, the other, other 450 guys are casing it or, you know, barely getting over it. Now, obviously, he's a world-class racer. I get it. But, dude. And I, and I was going to GPs back then. Like, I have my doubts that this thing was a 350. I really do. Antonio himself swore to me it was. Yep. And I'm like, you pull every hole shot. You know, you, 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 where is where are you lacking 100 cc's? Because I don't see anywhere that you are. Like, literally nowhere do I see a point where you're like, yeah, that's a 350. So, He told me on know. the starts that because it could rev higher than a 450, it could pull second gear longer, and he could get his elbows ahead of everyone. And then they had more power, but at that point, it didn't matter. He had his elbows. So they had, oh. That's what he had, That's what they uh, said. Okay, uh, well, listen, he's a hell of a we guy. We just know so. that this. They had Caroli crushing the GPs in the 350, and they had Alessi not crushing the Nationals. And, and then, yes. And Andrew Short there not crushing. There's Tony uh, yeah. uh, accusing the track uh, crew of – Disking the track extra deep to hurt the 350. Oh, I didn't hear that one. Yeah, yeah. I mean, any. I mean, it's the Alessis, dude. Everything's on the table. Right, right. So Shorty, Shorty is out there too, and he's frustrated, right? But he signed up for it, and 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 all of that. He's testing the 450 for you know Dunge signing near the end of the year. (laughs) The revamped Enduro motor. The revamped Enduro motor. Shorty is testing this bike, and it is cutting out on him. And it cuts out. He's in. He's riding Supercross in August, right? Because this oh, is where they're at. The bike's cutting out on him. He breaks both his elbows and his arms on this on oh, this God. dunge bike, right? Oh. This is in August. KTM feels so bad. You know, he's had a frustrating year. He can't ride this 350. KTM feels so bad. They offer him a deal for 2012, uh, and he just says, "No, I'm going to Honda." I'm going back. I'm, go- I'm going back to Honda. Wow. Yeah, you know because you know the bike had been coughing, and he had said to those guys, "Hey, it's it's cutting out. It's not. It's something. Yep. Something's going on." They're like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whatever. Just keep riding it." So. Oh boy. Yeah. Oh yeah. boy. But this is the. Yeah. I bring this up because this is the teething problems they're having in August before two months before they sign Dunge. You know, like this is this is what they're working on. Yeah, and we we want to tell all these stories to try to give you an idea of what a massive mountain they were going to have to climb you know roger leaves uh dunge says can i come with you roger says please don't i don't think we're ready for a rider your level yet this 350 experiment falls on its face they're trying to make a 450 that's not even designed for motocross work that's not working uh and then dunge after his suzuki deal expires he rides out the 2011 season does well doesn't repeat his either title but has a good season but but hold on runs out of gas at freestone Yes, bad stuff. Uh, um, had a cha- got run into, I think, by Canard at one of the Anaheims, mm-hmm. broke a chain. So you could argue that both titles, if not for bad luck, he, yeah, he, he wasn't terrible. Um, but 
He didn't win either title, but yes, you're right. There were definitely weird circumstances. He was not happy with Mike Webb. Mike Webb was the new manager along off-road Suzuki manager. He was not happy with Mike Webb, and Mike Webb yep. was like, how do I? Like, oh, I, you know, it's not my fault. We put your gas in the bike, and you boiled it. And and how is the chain coming off my fault? You know what I mean? Yeah. But but Mike, I remember Mike telling me, like, Dungy's holding me responsible for these things that never happened when Roger was here, but... Roger's not a miracle worker either. The fuel would have boiled. It's the same fuel. It would have boiled with Roger DeCoster also. This is Mike Webb, right? Right. So Sure. Yeah. So he there's there's tension over there uh, yeah. with Dunge and, and Mike and then Webb. And there's also uh, Southwick where the bike doesn't fire for a moto. We'll surely do one of these on that race someday. Yeah. Um, so those three things. The, the bike didn't fire for a second moto at Southwick. He ends up almost a lap down, gets seventh. DNS with boiling fuel, chain comes off at Anaheim. Those three things, if you're done, you could say, if, if, if those three things don't happen, I win these titles. So he's pissed, right? Yeah. So yep. he's ready to go. He's ready to leave and go back to Roger. Meanwhile, they're testing a 450 for him, and Shorty's breaking his arms. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I know. It's a, it's a tough, tough time. But, you know, I mean, KTM, like, they, yeah, they, they, you know, like they went after Roger and Ian. And also, I think Raj told me that, you know, he wasn't going without Ian. Right, that, that's his right hand sure. guy. Ian was Greg Alberto's mechanic for a long time, and then became the crew chief. And then you know, Ian's also a very hard worker and all that kind of stuff. So, I think Roger's like, you you want me? You're, you're taking Ian Harrison also. Well, Roger gets a lot of the credit for a lot of the things, but remember, like the team Honda dominance, which really built you know Roger's name as this amazing management guy. He was already an amazing rider, but it was a one-two punch. It was him and Dave Arnold. So I think Roger was always like, this is a two-person operation. It was yeah. me and Dave Arnold. Now it's me and Ian. Um, so the news look all year when Dunge, you know, we all know Dunge loves Roger and Ian, they've moved. I think there's always the thought of, well, what if he went to KTM? But at the same time, you're like, but he can't go to KTM. They only have a 350. They don't have a 450 and they've never won a supercross. Could that, it, it was all year. You were like, yes, no, yes, no, this could happen. No way. It couldn't happen. And to me, I felt like when it finally did happen, almost everyone was like, Dungy, are you insane? It, it was shocking to me from people I talked to and yes. kind of stuff that I knew that they were up to speed this fast, right? Like there was no doubt KTM had the money. They were winning in Europe. And by the way, it also should be we'd be noted that Suzuki lost Dunge and they also lost Ken Roxon right around this time. So it was like 09, 2010 when they lost Ken, right? Um, so anyways, Just basically take everything KTM is doing now. And then just color it yellow, and that's that's basically right, right. what we have. So, getting back, like, so the thought was they're gonna be they're gonna get it. It's not rocket science, you know what I mean? They buy buy all the OEMs and test them and look what they're doing and make your own and and they'll do it. But how fast they were up to speed with winning in their second race with Ryan Dungey in Phoenix, which is what the, this edition of the Re-Raceables is about, getting third at the opener, uh, that was yeah. shocking, shocking that they were up to speed this quick. Yes, because we are August shorty breaking arms. The bike doesn't even exist. Uh, and a lot of talk about how are they even going to have a, a, a bike for the production rule, which we'll get to that in a moment. That's where the factory edition is born. Um, they rushed the whole thing together. And yes, even though Dunge had some bad luck and didn't win titles in 2011, that Suzuki platform was so well proven, including yeah. his own great results on it, that I remember you and I having podcasts and saying like, well, there's no way he's going to be as good in the KTM. Not in the first year. There's no way. The yeah. Suzuki yeah. with RC and Dunge and Chad has been the best bike for the last five or six years. 
How is it possible that KTM could – it's definitely not going to be better. It's probably not going to be as good. If you tell anyone that he's winning the second Supercross of the year, I don't think anybody is taking that bet. Anybody. No, I'm no. I'm not even sure yeah. if Roger, Ian, and, and Dunge are taking that bet. Right. Yeah, I, I'm with you. Uh, I, it was yeah. it was pretty amazing how fast they got up to speed. And third at the opener. And so Villapoto is the defending champion. He wins his first title in uh, 2011. Um, and then he would go on to win four straight, of course. Um, Chase Field, January 14th, 2012, the date of this race. Chase Field, underrated venue. Like, I like Glendale. I'm fine with Glendale. We have seen, also, of course, some epic races there, and I love the fact that it, it, it's a little bit bigger than the average football field. They got the end zone there. All the stuff yep. about Glendale, I, I, it's great. I get it. Chase Field was good too, man. Yeah, Chase Field as a venue, yeah, the floor layout of the new stadium we go to is maybe the best floor layout for Supercross that there is. It's like a football shape but supersized. Uh, but as far as the stadium, yeah, this one was great. Uh, the legendary TGI Fridays in the building, so we would have lunch while watching practice. Yep, that's where it's always great. That's where I dropped my um, nachos. I to- told Nick, uh, Nick Way ate shit really bad one day in practice, and I was literally, I dropped my nachos. I was like, oh, like, is he <laughs> made okay? You dro- <laughs> made you drop your nachos. Yeah. Um, so going into this year, you know, 2011 was they literally made banners that said the greatest Supercross season ever. Mm-hmm. They hung the banners on the 2011 finale. We are in this great era of Villapoto and Dungey have gone to the top level. They've each won a Supercross title now. They're totally legit. But Chad Reed and James Stewart aren't going anywhere. We now know that. Chad started his team the year before. We thought that was going to suck. Turned out to be awesome. So, you know, Chad's going to be good in 2012. And uh, Stu, curiously, was basically doing everything he could to get off of a YZ450F. Mm -hmm. And everyone thinks he's going to go to Suzuki and replace Dunge over there because he and Mike Webb were actually pretty tight. But I can only assume that the Joe Gibbs Racing team filled up uh, Coach Gibbs' plane with cash, just filled the plane with cash, and just delivered. They didn't even use a Brinks truck. I believe they flew a private jet filled with money to James' house. That must have been what it took because James to JGR and staying on Yamaha was one of the most shocking moves ever. What was that contract worth? Do you even know? I mean, you're tight with those guys. Did you ever hear what that deal was? <sighs> why, do, why do I think it was three or three and a half mil? Something like that. That's my guess. Base. Base salary. Yeah. 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 And remember, it was, eh, he might ride outdoors. So <laughs> I believe J- James and Ricky were in the $4 million range in the mid-2000s, weren't they? I don't think James ever got there. I thought he was two, two, two and a half with Cowie. Oh, uh, I thought their deals ended up being similar. Like they just played okay. off each other. Right. If right. he's getting four, well, I'm getting four or Ricky, whatever. Ricky was obviously, remember, Ricky was all no bonuses. Just you're going to pay me the base oh. salary as if I win everything. <laughs> I so, see. So that Suzuki was like, okay, well, we would pay you two. We pay you a million for the outdoor title and a million for Supercross title bonuses. But like you said, no bonuses. So we're just going to pay you four million total. Yeah. You know, um, that's what you get. So let's do three and a half with bonuses. And by the way, not necessarily even to ride outdoors. Yeah. That has to be the most lucrative. Yeah. If he was going to get all that money and end up not racing outdoors you, and get bonuses. Uh, do you remember the signing, Lord. too? There was, hey, we got a NASCAR thing, too. Like, we can transition James into some car racing. Oh, uh, yeah. There was that. Oh, yeah. There was that. Uh, yeah, I think he even did one test in, like, a track in Boston or something. Well, I was there. They had a press conference uh, hosted by Ralph Shaheen. Um, I only got to host the Barsha one a couple of years later. But I was there. It was huge news, you know, for even the NASCAR yeah. Media, because James Stewart obviously kind of cut across, like everybody knew about, am I allowed to say this? 
in Supercross and Motocross, there's a black guy who's really good, and maybe someday he's going to race NASCAR. So when he signs with the Joe Gibbs team, I mean, the NASCAR media was all over it. You know, so then you got Coach Gibbs and you got James Stewart. But we all knew this is great. This is awesome. It's exciting. Oh, J-Bone and Stu reunited. This is awesome. But that Yamaha. But, but, but the Yamaha. And that's, that was what everything was hinging on. Because I think we all still thought in 2012 if James Stewart had it dialed, he could still maybe dominate. But no one knew. And JGR's team was totally unproven at this point. So to me, those are the storylines coming in. We knew Dungeon Reed, Dunge Reed and um, RV were obviously great. And Stu was going to be great also. But how great uh, was this Yamaha and how great was the KTM going to be? 2011 was the, the JGR deal, correct? No, no. 2011, Stu was still on the Sam Manuel LNM. And then uh, 2012 was JGR. Okay. Are you telling yeah. me that he didn't even last the whole Supercross year with JGR? No, he only made it one Daytona, crashed out what? the next week. Yeah. He Yeah. Really? Dude, it lasted like what, what so what does it end up being? Nine races? That's all he I he didn't make a whole year with JGR. This is news no. to me. No. Didn't I mean half of a supercross season. I mean Daytona is traditionally the halfway mark. Yeah, because he so he, he won Daytona. Uh yeah. Millsaps gets second. Yep. Teammates one and two. Then he crashes out of Houston, and when he crashed out and walked off in Houston, I'm like, he's never going to ride that bike again. No. So he's texting me well, around this time. Yes, because you had back channel information. Yeah. From James Stewart himself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's texting me, showing me pictures of him on a Suzuki, and I'm just like, what are you doing? He's riding a Suzuki during the week, some point around this time, and then showing up to ride a a JGR Yamaha, and I think Mike Webb was okay with all this, and I was like, that's a massive ethics breach of, of another team. Like, I don't think you could yeah. – you shouldn't tell anybody this, Mike. You know? Yeah. So, yeah, and I'll, I'll never know why – what James is trying to get out of by – we always say the riders should use the media. Like, this is what they do in other sports. Agents and athletes, they purposely leak information. I guess that's what James is doing. I don't know why. But, I mean, why is he going to you with this? It was – I don't know, man. I don't we know, We were man. going to races, and James, you're like, oh, Wednesday, James said he rode a Suzuki, and here he is. And the JGR guys are totally oblivious to this. I, it's unreal. I swear I thought he made it a year and a half with JGR. I did not think it was no. not even one series. I did not no. think this. Uh, uh, and okay. don't give James credit. I believe no. one of his texts to you was, I will ride a Suzuki for free outdoors, mark my words. And he did. <laughs> yeah, he did. He did. He yeah, did. He did. Um, <laughs> Okay, so watching this race, and so James is James. Uh, 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 what happens in the first one? Anaheim won. Uh, RV just absolutely destroys everybody. I, I swear he won Anaheim won by like forty seconds. It was ridiculous. But what what, uh, what happens to James at Anaheim won? Uh, he tips over like uh, there was a weird like tight like U turn section, and he like clipped the tough block. I think with a foot peg and got stuck. As you know, there's not much we can do about tough blocks. They just are what no, they are. No, yeah, no, no. We're powerless. Yeah. We're powerless to, to stop tough blocks. Yeah. So he had a bad race and then also had that brief crash. Um, everybody hated the track. And everybody's like, uh, yeah, RV killed us tonight. But Chad and Dunge and Stu were all like, we'll be way better at round two. And, um, Chad and this irrational confidence, of course. Um, yes. So, yes. Uh, so this race here, Stu gets a not a great start. He's moving up the pack. He comes up on uh, on, on Millsaps, his teammate, uh, gets by him, and then goes down um, 
and and I got to say, and then he comes goes all the way from 14th, and he comes back up to eighth. The 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 cameras on him a lot. It's Ricky, Ralph, and uh, Jeff Emig in the booth. James and I was watching other bikes. James comes into the whoops, and he's mega fast in the whoops. And then three or four laps out of the six they show him. The shock is packing and then just unloads him and almost throws him over the bars three or four times at the end of the whoop section. And no one else's bike is doing this, right? <laughs> like, and, I, and like he, he's coming into the turn on the front wheel, barely grabbing the brakes and then making it. And I'm just thinking, like, look at the bike. Like, that's not working very well. No one else's bike is doing this. this whoops, these whoops are not that big. Um, and then he's, he's all over the place. The back end is kicking everywhere. You know, so anyways – now it's hard to say now because we know he didn't like the bike and we know it didn't work. But dude, you can noticeably see in watching Phoenix twenty twelve and go back in. It's on YouTube, people. The bike's not working well. It is not working great. And it, obviously, he has to take he has to take some of the blame. He's setting it up, but but um, it's not good out there. So he eventually ends up eighth. Um, but you know they're focusing on him obviously because he's stew for a long time here. Uh, Dunge grabs the lead right away. Grab, Dunge gets a whole shot and he's gone. Yeah, um, and then it's like this weird – I mean, Dunge wasn't bad at Anaheim 1. Like you said, he got on the podium. So once Villapoto – Villapoto goes down? Is that what happened? Yeah, Villapoto goes down in the sand. Millsaps goes down in the sand. Villapoto clips him and gets sent. Right. And, and my buddy Lissamore has got a really good photo from this crash. He Because <laughs> he crashes on the one side of the sand wall and flies over the sand wall with his body. <laughs> like it's a really cool photo. Um and then, uh, uh, you know who second the entire race? Mm. Jake Weimer. Entire- oh, yes, because Weimer, yes, this reestablishes Weimer as – because he basically, his whole rookie year was a mess of uh, – I think he had broken broke, his arm. Broke his arm right before the season, yeah. Right, yes. And Weimer, I remember, rides really well here. And they kind of re- – and this is the mark. I remember Chad telling me after this race, it looks like Weimer could be one of the guys. And I was like, whoa. Yeah. When you get to that level, when you get an endorsement of it looks like this guy could be good. Yep. You've done something. Uh, Chad does not say that about anybody. Yeah, because Weimer went 5-2 the first two races. Yeah, so, I mean, he was yep. looking good. Yep, yeah. yep. yep. Uh, Villapoto makes it all the way to third. Um, yep. And um, Millsap's 13th, by the way. And he knows, at this point, he knows what it's like with Mumford and stuff because he's only making 125 Oh, uh, yeah, he does. So he, yes. he understands. <laughs> he knows what it's like to have no money. Yeah, he knows. Yeah. He knows. He knows. Only making 125 <laughs> Plus your gear. Yeah, Mumford is making zero dollars. Right, <laughs> I think. Yeah, that's a great. That's a great comment, by the way. Yes, um, yes. Uh, Chad gets. Uh, so what I was getting at okay. is, we know once these guys have Dunge was good at Anaheim one. So once he's got this lead, and the other guys have problems, it's suddenly like the whole race. I just felt like it's we're in the press box, and it's like it's going to happen. Yeah, yeah. Here he's we gonna go. Freaking win. Yep. In this second race, right. like there was no drama. You're right, by the way, too. It is a special time. You look at Dungeon Villapoto are coming up, their kids. Reed and Stu are there. Kennard can, you know, go balls out fast still anytime. Kevin Wyndham, just a legend. Now Wyndham's yep. not yep. capable of, you know, uh of being peak Kevin Wyndham at this point, but he's in the mix because he's Kevin Wyndham. Um, yep, on the right nights. He, yeah. he can still yeah. battle it out. Yep. Yep. So it, it is a really cool era. You're right. Um and yes. we, we would have this for a couple more years and then it went to shit but we did have a cool error um yeah chad uh chad makes a sweet pass on shorty and canard at the same time like which had yep. to, which in if you're chad reed and you're riding a honda uh, for your own team and honda won't give you any parts although they were at this point you pass both the factory riders you're like yeah sweet so 
Got it. Well, Shorty is uh, isn't Shorty on the Jeremy McGrath Larry Brooks team? Oh, is he? Well, he, it is a factory bike. They lease a okay. bike. Okay, all right. Okay, right. Yeah, but he's they not. lease a bike, and then that. Yeah, I mean, Shorty, I guess had a nice solid offer on the table from KTM. Yeah, chooses not to take it for the comfort of a factory Honda. And what we think is going to be a pretty awesome team because it's co-owned by Brooks and McGrath. And they even have some Chaparral backing, Supercross.com. You're like, hey, they've had McGrath and Brooks have had so much success before running teams. This is probably going to be really good. Um, but unfortunately for Shorty, that was very short-lived. It was short-lived for Shorty. Like the team was cratering yeah, soon. He, yeah. he, uh, wait, that's the year... Well, Supercross.com goes away or doesn't pay or something, and then they manage to get Chaparral to give him some money, and they so are then, down to shoestring. So then 13, shoestring. 13, he's on the factory bike, or what's he on 13? He starts a privateer, or what's he on? He's on a Honda in 13. And then he goes to KTM. Oh, BTO yeah. picks him up. He's, so he's still on. What's he doing? Because BTO uh-huh. picks him up uh, as a fact as a fill-in at 13 and Atlanta. Okay. But what is he on early? What was he on at the beginning? Yes. What is he on at the beginning? He's on a Honda. He's on a Honda. Yeah. But, but not the, the not the McGrath team. Does the McGrath team wait? Is it possible? Okay. Do you remember when Shorty wins at the end of this 2012 season? He wins Seattle. They're pitting out of like a rental yeah. van, aren't they? Yeah, they're out of a rental van. Honda's Honda's carrying his bike around. But do they somehow return and race again at the beginning of 2013? No, they can't. From that, no, there's no way, right? They can't. I'm, I'm texting Shorty right now. We got to figure. Okay. We got. We got to figure out what, what was he on at the beginning of 13. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, so yeah, Shorty is on a factory Honda. The the team just leases it. Um, but yeah, for Chad Reed, that's got to be good. Um, Chad was not very good at the opener, so he's better here. Yeah. Um, and what's phenomenal about the beginning of this season is that um, Reed then gets a win, and Stu gets a win, and after four rounds. Both Ryan's Reed and Stu have each won a race. It's freaking phenomenal. Yeah, Stu wins. Uh, Stu wins Oakland. 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 Yeah, yeah. Stu wins Oakland. Yep. Uh, and then uh, I, I'm still trying to process that James didn't last even six months <laughs> with JGR. <laughs> now, um, you know, you just blown your. Weekend. It is. I swear to God, I yeah. thought it was a year and a half or something. I, I didn't think it was six months. Um, <laughs> Yes, twenty twelve outdoors. He's back and he's on a Suzuki. Yeah, and then he and then he goes two 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 to Dunge, right? Uh, the first four motos. One one. What you mean? Wins them all? No, wait. Does he win them all? Yeah, he wins the first four with Dunge just right behind behind him. him the entire thirty five plus two just eating roost. And then yes. the photographer. Yes. Okay. Then the photographer at Colorado. Yeah. This all happens in all this stuff happens in a six <laughs> month span. <laughs> I, I, I thought James was right behind Dunge. I knew they were one, two, like right. I just thought James was, God, dude. Stu's had like. Well, it was like the, you know. the book of like the book of like how you raise Stu. I think Dunge had been told this probably by Carmichael, I'm assuming, is yeah. like, if you can just stay right behind him and eventually he'll crash. Yeah. And I feel like Dunge is like, I just spent 35 plus two four times and he never <laughs> made a mistake. And he never was. He was perfect. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm going to tell you something that Dunge. Hey. We're telling behind-the-scenes text from Stu. We're going to say this is 10 years ago. It's all on the record now. In Colorado, I remember Dunge uh, telling, talking to me and our pit reporter, Kelly Stavis. Ever heard of her? Yeah, yeah. Something about uh, something about Kelly Stavis has made the news. In the uh, it's been in the news, yes. Um, he was talking to us about racing Stu, and he's like, hey, I don't want you to say it's on a TV show. This is off the record, but honestly, 
I'm afraid like if I try to pass him and I get next to him that he's just going to wick it up even harder because it's James Stewart and like what if we both go down? That's a legit point. That's a legit it point. Is. <laughs> it is. I think he's like if I try to pass him, he'll probably just go Mach 8 and then we who knows what happens. So it's only four motos of the year. Uh, we got 20 to go. I'll just wait it out. Yeah. Yeah, really, right? Yeah. Uh not not yep. a bad strategy for sure. Yeah, and we never did find James out. would not allow someone to just go faster than him. No, like, no, you, you ain't yeah, do yeah, it. that that's not that's not happening. Like, yeah, if you go by me, you're okay. Do you want to go even faster? Because I will. Yes, and then we'll, exactly. We'll see what happens. <laughs> yeah, so, so I think Dunge is aware of this. Right, right. Uh Weege, breaking news. Just got a text from Shorty back. He oh. was on the Allen MC Honda at the beginning of 2013. So, I cannot believe that. Me neither. Like they, I they thought, brought it back. I didn't know this. Yeah, this is news to me. So then, and then, and then, BTO KTM picked him up, and then he stayed there for the rest of his career, right? But yeah. um, wow. Okay, yeah, odd. So who knows? Who who knew? Who so knew? they they yeah. were out of money, they were out of budget, and everything by the end of 2012, showing up in a Sprinter van, and he went back with them. Got it. <laughs> I know. I know. It just the odds were low. <laughs> it was just going to last throughout the year. Yeah. Uh, you know what? We're going to have the awards coming up too here on the Liat uh, uh, Re-Raceables podcast presented by Maxis and Scott. We have the categories coming up, but let's talk some uh, Phoenix Supercross lights. I guess it was still called lights back then. The absolute worst s- rule change in our sport or name change ever. Uh, Steve Whitelock <laughs> changing the lights and Supercross class. Just unbelievable. But uh, anyways, you know, thank God our sport, we Like, honestly, the way... The amount of laughs that you and I have had at our sport for some of the things, like if it was run correctly, we wouldn't have these laughs in our lives. So we yeah, almost, you have to thank these people. You we, have to thank I, these people. I, you almost have to thank them. Absolutely. So, However, you and I both follow a lot of other sports. And don't you feel that every sport, even ones where there are billions of dollars, there are coaches and GMs and rule makers and uh, commissioners of every other sport that are also made fun of by sports pundits constantly. So yeah, what's the diff, bro? Yeah. Yeah. Maybe. Right. So, I mean, it blows my mind. You can listen to a football podcast and they're just making fun of how, you know, half of the NFL coaches, if there's 90 seconds left in a game, screw up. Right. Then we just and had a, just like, we just they, had a, are they really that dumb? We just had a football coach call consecutive timeouts and, and, uh, exactly. and that's against the rules. Right. Okay. Yes. So somehow, uh, Cole Seeley wins the opener on the TLD Honda. What do you mean somehow? No, no, no. Sorry, this is where I'm getting to. Seeley okay. wins. Sorry, Seeley wins the opener. Seeley's good. Uh, yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. Dean Wilson wins the second one, and what I was going to say is somehow Dean Wilson never won a 250 Supercross title. Just somehow, I believe he's the winningest 250 slash 125 Supercross rider without a title. I think I mm-hmm. did that stat a few years ago. Mm-hmm. Um. He wins the Phoenix race here, uh, wire to wire. He's sick. He's not feeling well. Uh, Fro and uh, Ralph make a few mentions to that. And uh, he wins it wire to wire, gone. Uh, again, Dean Wilson never winning a 250 uh, Supercross title is simply amazing. He had uh, many, many shots at it. He even went up to 450s and then back down to 250s and still couldn't get it done. Uh, some guy named Marvin Muskan uh, gets second on the KTM. Speaking of KTM making progress. Tyler Rattray, third. Tomac gets a bad start. Uh, he passes Cole Seeley. He passes Jason Anderson. He passes Nico Izzy uh, to get fourth. Uh, and they're talking about Tomac's uh, fast uh, lap time in practice. Tomac, I guess, was the fastest guy in practice. He was number 17 this year on a Geico Honda. 
Uh, there's also a guy, uh, he's from England, um, total total MXGP dork rider. Uh, didn't I, I don't know what he ever did, but 338, Zach Osborne. He's out there, too. Oh, uh, that was the guy. He's on the, the bike was even from the GPs. Yeah, bikers from the GPs. Olin suspension, oh, X-brand on, goggles. I mean, what's he ever going to do? Uh, yeah. Zacho's running third uh, at one point um, and drops back to sixth. Seeley and Tomac get him at the same time. He screws up a rhythm, and they both get by him. Uh, of course, this is Zach's. Steve Dixon uh, spent some money. Zach spent some money, and he did the first four or five rounds this year on the uh, black Yamaha Olin suspension, and this got Zach Osborne on the map. And we've told the story before. I was there for Zach. He was on your map. He was already he, on your map. He really was. And – he was good, I don't know though. why. I don't know how. I don't know what. Okay, outdoors, sure. If Zacho showed up for a national at any time during that era, I'd be like, this guy could be good. But why you going into Anaheim 1 thought there would be something. You have to watch practice because Osborne's in the B group. And I'm like, Zach Osborne, he's ridden like five Supercrosses ever. And that was three years ago. I don't know where you got this from. I don't know either, but I was on board. <laughs> okay. Um, good. I mean, good sleuthing. Good for you. Yep. You were 100%. Telling everybody you have to watch B practice because Osborne is here. Yep, and uh, yep. and he gets a Geico Honda ride out of these four or five races. So yeah, I mean he was fast. I, uh, he was super fast. Like qualifying times are always good, and uh, yeah, two podiums. Crazy. You know, you know who's up there early in this race, Weege, and and I know you watched it. Uh, Travis Baker was up there early. Seeley's uh, teammate. Kind of forget about Travis Baker. Yeah. He, he retired yeah. a little early, quit, I should say, retired a little, quit a little early, and just became a fireman. And, like, he didn't really wash out of anything. Like, he just, he was never a great rider, but he was a good rider. And he was on TLD Honda, and he just kind of said, yeah, that's it. Like, I'm not going to get any further. And he quit early. Uh, but he was uh, fourth for a long time in this race, fourth or fifth. So. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of riders that end up in his situation, right? They start out, yeah. they have some potential, they get a factory ride, they get a shot for a year or two, it doesn't work, and then they just grind it out privateer 250 class style yes. for like six or eight more years. <laughs> yes, yes. Right? Yes. Making no money. 100%. And I guess he's like, okay, it's not going to happen. I'm not going to get back on a factory bike yep. and win races. Like, it's time to get a regular yeah. job. Yeah, so Travis Baker, yep. uh, shout out to him. Uh, yeah. Jason Anderson, uh, number 44 on RMZ 250. This is Anderson's uh, second year, right? I believe uh, he was 44 so, yeah. second year. Getting finally halfway decent now. Yeah, yeah, finally seeing some potential out of this Anderson yeah. guy. But, yeah, yeah, it's funny to look back on it. Dino, Muskan, Tomax, uh, Osborne, Anderson, right? Silly. Yeah. Like, Silly, that's, yeah. that's 450 warfare um, and, and, for a long time with yep. those guys. And I have my who's that guy for the category out of this class, like, all day long. Like, just just, just wait. Like, it's, yeah, it's oh. phenomenal. So, oh, okay. um, um, yeah, there's a lot, a lot to talk about in the Liat uh, re-raceables categories. But anything else from 250s to each that strikes you as a... No, this ends up being um, Tomac and Dean battling for this title, yep. correct? Yep. Yeah. Yep. Um, it's, it's sad to say, we've talked about this with Dean a million times, you know, he was right there with any of those guys. Uh, Kenny or Eli, who you Kenny and Eli are the best of their generation. I know we can make fun of them and say they weren't as good as Reed or RC or Villapoto or Dunge, but let's be honest, over the last eight years or whatever, who have been the two best 450 guys on average? Who've won the most races, titles? It's Tomac and Roxanne. They're the two best guys of their group. Mm -hmm. um, but there was a time where Dean Wilson was just as good. 
Yeah, absolutely, right? Yep. No, yeah, I, I, it's I, just I, unfortunate the way it worked out for Dean that, like, you wouldn't think that now, like, when we're racing in Anaheim 1 this year, no one's going to be like, I wonder if Dean can beat Roxanne and Eli. But there was a time. <laughs> there was a time. Yeah, there really was, right? All right, enough talking, Weege, uh, here. Let's get uh, Ryan Dungey on the line because, man, uh, he's the real, the real, and people are going to want to listen to this. So let's get uh, caught up with Ryan Dungey about the 2012 KTM 450 SXF. And now we welcome on the Lee at Re-Raceables, multi-time Supercross motocross champion and the subject of this, uh, this Lee at Re-Raceables podcast, Ryan Dungey. What's up, Dunge? How are you, man? Doing good, doing good. How are you guys? Uh, we're good. How's the coffee business? The coffee business is good. Um, obviously, this time of year, uh, holidays, just gifting and whatnot, but uh, it's going really well. Um, we've expanded the lineup and uh, got ground option now in Holbein, so it's been good. Getting good feedback from the customers. Everybody's enjoying it, so it's... Uh, uh, been doing really good. Now, Thank you. Now, can you tell Wygant here on the phone because he <laughs> is so cheap, we uh, Dunge. What he does is he'll he'll brew a cup of your RD coffee that you've given him, uh, and then he will go and heat it in the microwave the next day. And I told him oh. so many times, like, dude, don't do that. But that's what Wygant does. Wygant, come on, man, we got to step yeah, up. Yeah, yeah. I've up even, up. I've even. Well, I did. You know, Dunge, you sent me a bag of whole bean, and I did purchase a coffee grinder to grind the bean. So. I wanted to treat your product with the utmost respect and care. Uh, but everyone else, I'll just say I'll do that to everyone else's coffee. How about that? You cannot heat it in a microwave, Weege, the Why next not? day. It's sitting there in the pot, un- undrinking. I didn't get to all of it yesterday. I'll drink it tomorrow. Ryan, this is what I got to deal with. <laughs> well, we know what we're getting Wygant for Christmas. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. All right. All right. Um, hey, I just want everyone to know, on brand, uh, Ryan Dungey's just finished up. We we call him, and he had just finished up a workout. So still training, grinding, still. <laughs> <laughs> got to respect it. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Got to keep it in check. Um, Ryan, so this is like, we, you know, you're a champion at Suzuki. Roger leaves, Ian leaves. You go to KTM to join them. There is no way that any of us thought this bike – look, there was no doubt it was going to be competitive down the road because Roger, Ian, and the money and resources KTM has. There's no doubt it's going to be competitive, but I know I was shocked as a former mechanic and a guy that had been at KTM that it was this good, this fast. Um, let's let's go backwards, though, a little bit. What did Roger and Ian sort of promise you – uh, that the bike would be, and did you think you would be this good, this fast on that bike? You know, I, I think I think we hoped for it. I I don't I don't think we expected our first win to come that soon. Um, the first race at at Anaheim, you know, Villapoto, he he put a pretty good um, he he won by a pretty good margin, and yep. so he was just going to be tough in general. But we got a podium that race, and then by Phoenix. Um, you know, we got off to a good start. I will say we caught a little bit of a break there um, with Villapoto. I think he had a uh, he went down there in the early part, but but for the most part, there's a lot of a lot of guys in that race, and I got the whole shot, and, and we just kind of took off. And mm-hmm. I, you know, it was one of those. I really don't know how. To, I mean, we we hope for it. We we try to put ourselves in a position to to do it. I I think coming to KTM, seeing a little bit of the work that you know Roger and Ian. I shouldn't say a little bit, but. You know, they were making a big push there in 2011 before I, prior to coming on board. So, like, I knew the bike was good, and the 450 was brand new, but we, we put in a lot of work in the offseason. I mean, it felt like we, we tested, you know, the whole way coming into the season. And, and um, uh, you know, we, we just so – we just got off to a good start, and, and we just let every single lap, and it, and it came to us. And, um, 
yeah, just I think we were all kind of stunned, but we were all excited to to kind of at least show that just, just I think it proved to us that the bike is capable of winning. Um, we believed in it, but, you know, we wanted to get the result first. So Our whole confusion here was, uh, if you remember this timeline as well, um, the previous year, KTM was racing a 350, and they didn't have a fuel-injected 450, as far as we knew, coming soon. And then we had heard they were taking a enduro off-road 450 carb- or fuel-injected engine. They were going to try to make it into a Supercross bike and make it happen quickly. They rushed it through with the factory edition. Um, when you were first talking to them about going back with Roger and Ian and going to KTM, what did they say they were going to have? Did they say, oh, don't worry, January 1, we will have this 450 dialed? Or were they like, eh, we're trying? <laughs> you know, they right away from the beginning, they they said that if, if you're going to come on board, we're, we'll, we'll put a 450 in the lineup, which was, I mean, for a rider to hear that, it's like you're just you're going to basically shut down production and, and build a you know, factory edition 450. So the... The, the first thing that we did prior to signing with them, they, they came out to the track there at, uh, um, out at Ricky's place. And we had a, we had a 350 and a 450 they had for me to ride. And so I jumped on the 350, felt pretty good. You know, it's like, you know, kind of more going backwards to the 250, but still had good power. And then they, then I rode the 450. And I think for me, um, they both felt really good, but for me, it was like, I'd rather have the power. And I, I, I just kind of want to make sure we have that torque and, you know the 350 i'm sure probably could have been good but it's like for for my own sake i just like i want to make sure i have all the power we need and i mean the 450s have more than you need so you kind of tame them down a little bit for that matter but that's when we went forward with the 450 and yeah the whole thing was brand new in production they they they, uh they rushed that thing pretty quick to to make sure it was ready to race um by 2012 yeah when you were first riding it was it like did it feel like prototypey? Did it look different, or was it no different than any other production bike you had tested, or was it a little weird? No, it was pretty prototype. I, I okay. remember, I remember like everything was pretty cast looking and pretty like it wasn't racy by any means <laughs> yeah. or, or sexy by any means. So, but it, it was enough to like get a good feel. Yeah. So wow, you're coming off a of Suzuki, which was a proven bike, right? And you rode really well. Your first ignition impressions. Was it like, this is as good as a Suzuki, or it's like, hey, we have some work to do? What was your initial impression coming off a pretty good RMZ 450? Yeah, in all honesty, um, and I probably never said this to anybody, but it's like, when I rode the bike, I had already made up my mind in my head, honestly. Okay. <laughs> I, I knew I, I knew where, where I was at. The bike didn't feel great. I will say it was the steel frame had a different feel. Mm-hmm. And I don't say the steel frame didn't give it a good feel. It's just like the bike was very, um, it was such early stages of development that it was, it, it felt kind of, there were some harsh spots. And so until we could do the testing and stuff to really kind of start building, building a better package, it was very, it didn't feel the greatest. Right. And, and so I knew that there was going to be some work, but in my head, I was like, you know, I knew I wanted to make a change. I wanted to look at a different front fender. I knew that with Roger and Ian, that what we had done in the past, it was like, I, I trusted the guys to that, you know, maybe the bike didn't feel the greatest right away or, and we were going to probably have some problems. And, and we did like the first three years was like trying to, before the next model came out, I mean, it was, I can't tell you the amount of, I mean, the hard work, the headaches, everything. So it was, it, it wore on everybody, but I just knew that with the team that, you know, KTM and Roger had and Ian that had built around them that we were gonna we were gonna figure it out and that and that I think the other piece was like the commitment from KTM just kind of made it mm-hmm. like 
you know, they, they could rush parts. They could make parts. They, they, I mean, they, they were full into this thing and there wasn't anything they were going to hold out on. And so I think from, from my side, it was just like, I never thought like people, I heard people say, Oh, this is like career suicide. But in my head, it was like, it's, you know, this is the option kind of the, the, the my best option. And, and I wanted to go that way, but it was like, I, I, I never thought it never, I never thought it was going to be the ending of my career. Like it was going to be such a disaster that that never crossed my mind. Oh, interesting. It just take yeah. time to, to, to get to the point. And, and it did, it took time. The, the outdoor championship came, but the Supercross champion took a while. So it sounds like, although you go three and one, the first two and you, you know, you, the bikes, it sounds like behind the scenes, Ryan, things are, Things aren't things aren't as smooth as as it looks to us on the outside. Like you are going and you are testing and you are finding problems and you are solving issues, like behind yeah, the scenes. And, yeah, yeah. And we, despite going three one the first two races, we we tested in between every yeah. single race because because that was just the the bike the bike at that time at the window wasn't a big window. I, I couldn't take it to a, a tacky track to a hard pack track, but we we really shined on the hard pack tracks mm-hmm. at, at that stage. But now. But now, overall, it's a for sure. I mean, a big window and great on every condition. Yeah. So, yeah. Hey, you mentioned something with uh, uh, I think carry stuff out there. It's almost like a compliment, like a, the fact that they're willing to change the production line, rush a bike, get it made, to get it homologated. Like you take that as like an extra sign of uh, their respect for you and their commitment. Oh, 100 percent. I mean, the, the just the level of commitment you weren't going to get anywhere else. But yeah, I mean, I. I mean, to think that I was in those shoes that they were like, yeah, right, we're going to, to pass a homologation rule. Like they told me, like we, we shut down the lineup and we produced these things and got them out. The, you know, it was just like, who, who does that? You know? And so yeah. I think anybody in those shoes, any rider in that position would be like, you know, no matter how great that bike didn't feel in the beginning, like it was going to, at, at one point we were going to figure we're, it was going to be a really good bike. So. Uh- I always thought it was funny because I was at KTM for a couple of years in 2000 and 2001, and we they had a 250F that they wanted to put into into racing, but they couldn't because they had used their work spike exemption rule, the one that Honda used with Rhino and the one that uh, uh, Suzuki used with Ricky, they had a, and, and Yamaha used with Henry. They had used their one-time exemption with Lance Smale on a four-stroke in '97. <laughs> And so oh. they couldn't put the 250F out as a work spike. And they probably also, with Ryan, with you, they couldn't put a, a work spike rule with you the one year either. They had to get it homologated, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it was, it was, uh, yeah. Uh, Looking back, it was quite an effort. It was, yeah. Uh, well, Ryan, and also before we get too far into this, and Weege <laughs> knows this, so you won their first ever 450 Supercross, but I was the mechanic for the first right, ever KT. Here we go. I was <laughs> yeah, the mechanic. Here we go. Uh, here we go. Ryan, oh, I was the mechanic Steve. for the first ever KTM win in the USA outdoors. Just, just you know, so you and I, we share this trait, and I'm sure the KTM factory will acknowledge it one day. <laughs> <laughs> so right, he's asked Roger to make a plaque for him. I did. actually asked for this. I asked Rog. I said, Rog, I was part of the first ever USA win that kicked off this whole KTM success. <laughs> Roger was unaware uh, of this, Dunge. So. Hey, Rog, just so you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was, was. He was unaware. Uh, but but let's, let's go further back, Ryan. Um, so, you know, you have the success on Suzuki, and it's a good bike, but the year that Roger Ian left, you run out of gas at a national, your chain comes off uh, when Canard hits you. Um, I imagine you could have stayed at Suzuki. You and Mike Webb maybe didn't gel. But was it like 
I, I don't know. I don't think it was a money thing. Like, I don't think KTM's throwing a bunch of money at you. Was it just Roger and Ian and you felt like you wanted to put your trust in them and that's why you wanted out? Was it because I don't think it was the bike, the Suzuki was proven. Sort of like where were you throwing your lot with those guys? Yeah, I I I, I think I gelled with everybody on the team personally. Yep. I think and I and I say this with the most respectful way. I mean every everybody I, I think highly of everyone. I think I just think that when the the lesson that I learned that year was when you when you stop um, advancing the bike and I, we we basically raced the same bike that we had in 2010. We tried to make improvements, yep. but we were we weren't on, we weren't able to. And so initially, I thought, well, man, we won both titles in 2010. How how bad can the bike be yeah. going the next year? But the fact of the matter is, everybody gets better. Everybody improves. So it's like you got to keep keep up with the curve and the curve. And we didn't we we didn't do that, and so without that innovation, without that that extra little bits mm. and pieces to just it, it's such small things that you know you know Steve, it's like it's you you make a small change, it's a matter of a a a, a, a steel uh, engine mount hair yeah. versus a carbon yeah. engine hair. It's like the the feel of the bike, everything, and so we just we didn't keep improving, and so it's like we stayed where we were while everybody else got better, and that that's the thing that I feel like when ah. I thought about when I start taking, you know, moving forward out of Suzuki, it's like, you know, it was a great bike. And I think it still had the potential to, to keep evolving. I mean, it was still in the lineup for, for years to come. I mean, I think I even, you know, you know the model, but mm-hmm. I think I just wanted to be with a company that was going to be one committed, but two, it's like, you're, they weren't ever going to stop evolving. And even, even when I, all my years with KTM and so this day, it's like, they, you win a race, it's like, no, we can keep getting better. No, we won the championship. No, but we yeah. got to keep getting better. Like, you just never settle, you know, and I think that was a that was a lesson. Right. Oh, interesting. So it was more of a bike uh, evolution where you're, like, saying to Mike, hey, can we do this? Can we do this? And Mike's saying, hey, the factory, we don't got anything. We don't got nothing new. <laughs> right. we, we don't have anything. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Right. And that, in that time, KTM – or, sorry, uh, Suzuki was um, – they were starting to pull back a little bit. Yep. The budget. So it just – something suffered, and – and um, yeah, and I think on top of that too, I just honestly I rode Suzuki for a long time, and I was I was also excited for a new change, a different bike, different you know different yep. uh, so, you know atmosphere. So the statute limitations is over now, Ryan. You can tell us. So in 2011, when does Raj sidle up to you and be like, uh, "We're going after you. We're 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 because we you tell the story earlier that." Well, go ahead. We Roger had said he didn't want like when Roger left at the end of 2010, and he had said like we told Ryan, do not come here yet. Like we don't even think about it. Like we are not ready for a rider at your caliber. Like we barely have a race shop. Um, so, so when yeah, when does it like the conversation start? I guess a year or whatever later to start considering this. Yeah, yeah. I think when when I was in the motorhome, we had just won our title and uh, the outdoor title, and that that day they they told me the news in the motorhome, and I was thinking, oh man, like. And the Same day? Yeah. Right. I got good news and I got bad news. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I uh, knowing now how much it affected. I, at the time, you're like, all right, you know, hey, you guys go that way. Like, um, you know, we got a good bike. We'll finish out the year strong next year, and I'll meet you at, at, at KTM. But it, it didn't go like that at all, as far as okay, like the the feeling. But anyway, I one of the first things I thought was like, well. Can I get out of my, you know, can I get out? I want to come with you guys. Like, I don't want to not be on the same. And there, and that's when Roger's like, no, no, Ryan, like, we got to build up the, the team. We got a lot of work to do. Like, let's just do what we're doing. And, 
and if things go great, we, you know, they just said right there, we'll, we, we want you to come our way when your contract is over. And, um, I don't think, I don't know the exact words that were used, but it was like, it was like, I pretty much hope we get to do this again together. And we hope we have a good enough team to, to bring you on board in, in a year's time. So, um, once, once we were going through the midway part of the season, you know, that's kind of when contract talks start after Supercross or around end of Supercross. And I mean, to me, it was like, there was a couple on the table, but I was, I mean, everything else was just kind of like, you know, secondary to the KTMs. I mean, I kind of had in my mind, like, that's, I, I want to change. That's where I want to go. So I think once we started moving towards that direction, we, we finished uh, the season at Paula, then we went to France for the motocross of nations. Mm -hmm. And then, um, that was my last race on Suzuki. And we flew, we flew straight from there to, uh, the factory, uh, in Austria, uh, and that, Mat I pronounced it the wrong way, but, um, Mat Matagoffin, yeah. Matagoffin. That's, that's when we, we went straight there and that's, that's, uh, that's, they showed me the, the new bike and the whole nine. So, um, you know, uh, Shorty, Shorty was at, well, at KTM in 2011 and, you know, halfway through the outdoors, he's riding supercross, on this prototype, it's cutting out on him, and he breaks his elbows and his arm uh, on a supercross track when the bike cuts yeah. out on him. And he, so he, Shorty's getting things ready for you, right? <laughs> <laughs> I know. I, know. I uh, yeah, it's yeah. You hear those stories, and you're kind of like, man, I it's dirt bikes, right? Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, for sure, for sure, but. <laughs> But you know, Shorty's like, yeah, man. I was uh, Shorty wasn't stoked, right? Like, and and they were like, hey, you can stay with us the next year. And he's like, nah, I'm good. You know what I mean? Like, I, I, not not happy. But just but I'm, we're just telling a story to prove like the bike in August, bike still had some work to do. You know? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It, it very much. And um, yeah, quite a journey thinking back to that bike to where it is now. It's just yeah. Yeah. Did you have anyone um, when you're considering going over there? So this is maybe summer of 2011. Uh, did you have anyone or did you have several people being like, that'd be crazy. Don't do this. Did you have, cause I mean, again, on the outside, it seemed nuts. Did you have people discouraging you like in your group? Uh, no, no, not at all. Honestly. Um, I mean, at the time it was pretty, I lived in Tallahassee and my, my you know, my wife was there and, and, uh, my dad was there at the time too. And so, I mean, it was kind of a relatively small group and I, I really, I never asked Ricky, um, I never did ask Ricky for the, in, for any, you know, what he thought. I think, I think uh, we all just, you know, I guess my inner circle, you could say mm -hmm. like, we, we kind of just all thought like, Hey, you know, if Roger's there, if Ian's there, if, you know, we got the commitment, it just, that, that kind of yep. sealed it for us, you know? And, um, yeah. Yeah. That's it. Yep. Yep. And what was the off season, um, like, like how far did the bike come from say, when you got when you went to Madagoff in there after the nations <laughs> till January, like was it a huge change in those three months? Um, it was it was kind of crazy. I got a little bit of time off, and it, we just right. I remember we went right into testing. We spent a week. I got a week off, and then we went straight into testing. And then um, I had a little time off here and there. But I remember thinking like, okay, we got we got till Anaheim one to get this thing ready. That was my first thoughts in the, the first week riding it. And honestly, things were going really good the first week and you can, you know, you can get things set up good on the test track. Right. But then it's like taking it to the race is like, let's that that's when everybody was like, well, maybe we should think about the monster cup. And I, in my head, I'm like, dude, I'm not, I haven't, <laughs> I haven't ridden in two weeks. I'm not, I'm not racing monster cup. And then, and then they plant that seed in your head and you're like, yeah, I kind of, yeah, I kind of want to go do race. I want to go race. And, and that was good because that was like, 
that was the first year of the, the Monster Energy Cup out in um, Sandboy Stadium. Mm-hmm. So much faster, higher speeds. We could really put this thing to the test. And, you know, um, we got second. Not everybody was there. But, but the big thing for us, the win was just like being able to see how this thing performed in different conditions. And so, hey, we went back and we learned some things and we kept testing. And so I think it was good to just get that first race on the KTM off the out of the way, too, you know. Instead uh, of Anaheim one, where everybody's kind of like first time, everybody, sure. you know what I mean. So, uh, what uh, what we we were remarking this on the podcast before we got you on, Ryan. There's yourself and Villopoto, like the two kids that just kind of moved up and are the future. But you still got Wyndham, and you still got Stu, and you still got Chad uh, lurking around. Like really cool moment in our sport. It was. It was. I mean that that year was. Uh, I mean. The next couple of years were pretty cool. I mean, all those guys. And I remember we, Villapoto was, was probably obviously pretty dominant, but like, you know, we were all right there switching, switching positions. And, um, yeah, I mean, Stu, Stu was on the Yamaha and I don't know. It was just fun. It was yeah. a good time to, for me, it was guys I looked up to. So now I'm like racing them on, on the gate was always, uh, interesting, but yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I bet. And then, and then later on this year, you'd you Stu would be on a Suzuki, and you'd be right there in outdoors with <laughs> Stu on a Suzuki. So, yeah, yeah. we were remarking yeah. on that too. How bizarre that Stu didn't even last, you know, eight months with, with or six months with the JGR. So, yeah, yeah, um, it's a crazy time. Yeah, yeah. Uh, anything else for for Ryan Weege? Uh, um, you mentioned so yeah, this whole generation bike that came out in 2012. So. What was it like when the next one, Factory Edition for the 2015 season, uh, what was that? That might have to be, like, euphoric. Like, yes, this is the one. What was that uh, three years later experience, like, the next new KTM compared to this 2012? Yeah, it was it was well worth the, the time and effort, for sure. It was, it was amazing how – and I feel like they've done this every year, every model they've come out with. But when they came out with that new model, like, I realized that, like, there was so many – you can do only do so much with the chassis you have. And, and when they came out that new model, they just, they just hit it on the nail. We didn't even like, I think I had, um, gosh, maybe 10 hours on the bike prior to racing Anaheim one, like, like that actual total time on the bike before, wow. um, that was it late season. Were you late getting it? Is that why? No, no, it wasn't. I, I just, I, I had, um, I had my, I got married that year. So I was, I was off the bike for some time and then, I ended up getting sick prior to coming into the season. So I, I, I just, I didn't even ride for 10 days coming into Anaheim one that year. And, and then it just, but what I'm getting at is like the bike felt amazing. We did a little bit of testing. It had, it like, it just had a good comfort, the power, the, the engine delivery was really good. We tested maybe we did, we, we picked every, um, for 2015 from round one through six, we picked one day to test and that was just Tuesday. We try some stuff and just keep massaging it. And by round six, from round six on, we never touched the bike. Hmm. And I'm talking just little minor adjustments. Yeah. But I, I think the result, you know, we, we were able to win the next three uh, Supercrosses. And it just, like, it was a good bike. And, yeah, they just, I mean, from all the notes. And that's the thing. Every time we race and all the data and all the, you know, the notes that were taken, I mean, they just, they had to compress all that basically, like, you know, they're smart, you know, obviously smart people to know how to do that, so, thankfully. But, uh, yeah, they nailed it. Yeah, so three years of this other bike, trying to figure it out, trying to figure it out, and then six races on the next bike, you were where you needed to be. That's the difference. 
Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then, right. And then I finished when I was done after Supercross. I met the guys out there at the track a couple of days later, and I they had a, the new the new model. <laughs> and I was like, well, I, I want to feel this thing, you know. <laughs> and uh, that thing was even better. And I was like, oh my gosh, I I uh, am, I, am I making the right call here? But anyway, they, uh, yeah. Oh, this is when you were retiring. Yeah, yeah. Oh. <laughs> I had already scheduled it. You know, yeah, yeah. Prior to the decision, so I was like, you know what? I definitely I want to feel the bike. I want to know what it's like, and um, so we, we kept it. It was like Monday after Vegas. Oh yeah. So, yeah. Oh well, I'm sure if you're Roger and Ian, they'd love to have you back. They probably were hoping the test would go really, really, yeah. really well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I already told them, and they were like, "Well, what the hell are you doing here then?" Yeah. I just want to ride the bike. Just let me ride it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Do you wish you had? Hey, looking back, okay, this 2015 bike was so much better. But was really what you wanted. Ah, do you wish you had one shot at Villapoto on that bike? Because now we know when you were racing him, you were on the one that was almost there, but not quite there. Have you ever thought about that? Well, it's 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 kind of a it's hard because if Villapoto wouldn't have tired, I wouldn't have not, wouldn't have got to work with Eldon. And yeah. I, there's just other other factors that I feel like so much that was in place that probably wouldn't have. Right. I, you know, there were so many new things that year. I, I, I actually, I moved, I got married. I moved down to Claremont, Florida from Tallahassee and worked with Eldon. And, and just like the, so much, I needed that change in my life to happen to like get out of that old rut. I was kind of into kind of like, okay, put the past behind and let's move forward and, 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 and try to do this better. So, so we'll never know. We, I, we, yeah, we'll never know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm sure to like to have that bike in 2014 though. Wouldn't yeah. have been bad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> for sure. For sure. Yeah. Well, awesome. uh, yeah, thanks thanks for doing this, man. Kicked off, again, the race you just took off and won. It's one of your many wins, but it's just the, the representation of a, of a new era in KTM. Uh, that's what this one really, why we wanted to choose this one. And and uh, sounds like it was more work behind the scenes than we even thought. Like, as smooth as it looked, there was, there was a lot of stuff still going on. So you guys were the tip of the iceberg, and then underneath you guys were just massively doing stuff. So, um, yeah. Thanks for doing this. Yeah, really appreciate it. Good times. RD, yeah, rdcoffees.com, everybody. Uh, don't be like Weege. Uh, make fresh pot every time and, um, <laughs> and go ahead. So um, th- thanks, Ryan. All right. Thank you, guys. All right. See ya. Bye. Bye. All right. Good stuff from, uh, from Dunge, as always. Thanks to Ryan Dungey for coming on uh, and talking about that experience of going to KTM, Weege. Uh shocking and not shocking like i said it was like we knew that he would want to but we also knew that that bike the chances of success were very slim it was true 50 50 and i want to say the two times that in silly season the the two most shocking things i've ever heard two, the two most shocking things I've oh ever heard wow okay well, for the time roger DeCoster. see we were all huge brock hepler people at racer x because hepler was yes, local yeah, yep. and we we all raced the local races and hepler would this is a this is shocking, Steve, but there was a time when the top amateurs in America raced at their local tracks every weekend. Can oh, you imagine? This? No, I, I can't. Yeah. Right. So you'd go to High Point Steel City on a random weekend, and there was Hepler half a lap ahead of everyone in either the B class and then the next year the A class. And then he's factory Suzuki. He's super fast. That's our guy. That's our local guy. And after two, three years, he's winning some races, but he's not as good as we, we're, he, we're thinking he's going to win titles. Hasn't quite happened yet. And then I'm talking to Roger. I'm like, what's up with Hepler? What's up with Hepler? And he's like, 
I do not like his attitude. We are hiring Ryan Dungey. I'm like, Ryan Dungey? <laughs> I do not like – well, first of all, did Hepler ever speak? I mean, what, what do you I don't mean know. his attitude? I, remember, like, I was shocked, first of all, that Roger did not like Hepler's attitude, and he was hiring Ryan Dungey. And they had already – you know, Millsaps had already left. I don't think Roger was a big Millsaps fan either. So I'm just like – at one point, Suzuki had Millsaps and Hepler who were considered like the next two guys. Yeah, like, they really were. Yeah. They're going to let both of those guys walk. And they're going to invest in Ryan Dungey, who has done basically nothing as an amateur. Yeah, I doubt. What I, the hell? I doubt I ever heard the name Ryan Dungey until he made his debut at Millville that year. Like, I doubt I even. Yeah. I don't think I ever knew it, heard of him ever. Right. You know? He did famously win one uh, title in Schoolboy at Loretta's, and it was against some really big hitters like Stroop and Osborne were in there. But it was one title. It was not, he was not this prolific. Hell, there. We could probably text Phil right now and say, were you faster than Ryan Dungey at one point? And Phil probably was. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, that's Dungey's level. So I was so blown away. They're like, yeah, Millsaps, Hepler, whatever. We got Dungey. Well, I'll never forget hearing that news. And then all year in 2011, um, we're kind of like dogging Roger, like, is Dungey, is there a chance he's going to come over? And then finally, I think it was at Unadilla, he finally admitted, yes, Dungey's coming. And yes, we're going to try to try to take that Enduro motor and make it work. And Roger's like, please don't tell anybody yet. Um, but I just remember still, even though we know that Dunge loved Roger, it was still kind of shocking. It was still kind of shocking. It was still, Dungey's going to raise 450 Supercross on a KTM at the time, right up there with oh. the most shocking silly season news I've ever heard. I think getting photos of James on a Suzuki for me, while being on JGR, <laughs> was maybe the most shocking <laughs> silly season news I ever saw in my life. So You did not share those to Koi. No, I did not. No, I did not. not sure. No, no. Um, all right, uh, Liet re-raceables categories again presented by Maxis and the folks at Scott. Um, so it's the first first category. Who really won the race? Like, uh, like I know we always say it's not the winner, and you could make a case for Ryan Villapoto here because he comes from I think fourteenth or twelfth to third. So, you know, he salvages a podium on this night. He goes through a bunch of good guys. Um, so maybe you could make a case for Villapoto. But, no, it's Ryan Dungey. He's on an experimental KTM that no, none of us thought he could win this soon on. Like, it's got to be Ryan Dungey. There's, there's no doubt. There's no doubt. Uh, them winning is just almost unthinkable uh, at the time. Yeah, okay. All right. So, I, Se- second race. Uh, yeah. In- incredible. Absolutely. Um Who's that guy award? Uh, uh, this is uh, this is this is you have to pick this too. Bruce Rutherford. Oh yeah, that was it. Bruce Rutherford, thirteenth. Who's Bruce Rutherford? It sounds like an well, alter we had ego. Just started. We had just started our post race pod, and I believe we said he sounded. That sounds like the name of a weatherman. <laughs> We're going to, Br- to Bruce Rutherford, Rutherford with your forecast. Right. Now, you yeah. could go Jean Carlos Ramos, who was my favorite name for like a, <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, a, uh, an action an action hero. Jean Carlos oh, yeah. Ramos starring Jean Carlos Ramos is out for revenge. <laughs> yeah, we we ran we ran with that one we for a long that. time. Yeah. We did. Uh, but we did. you know, but I got to go Bruce Rutherford, right? Or do you have do you have one? No, I was going to if it wasn't going to be Rutherford, I was going to go with Jean Carlos Ramos. So. <laughs> yeah. Congrats. Yeah. I'm making the 250 main, boys. Yeah. Uh Bruce Rutherford is telling someone right now that he got 13th in a 250 Supercross main event, uh, you know, lights main yeah, event. Yeah. And someone is like, "Seriously? No, but, like, no, that's badass." Yeah, nobody's believing him. Yes. No. Um yeah, 13th. 
So they didn't show a whole lot of guys at this race on the broadcast. I mean, uh, Weege, would you like to comment on Justin Brayton's 14th? Uh, I don't know if you would like to talk about that at all. but oh, we, we would be ready for Phoenix two years later. Okay. We would be ready. All right. That, uh, by the way, Nick Way, too, crashing out in this race and giving a sweet mid-race interview to Aaron Bates. Like, uh, uh, you know, like, <laughs> like just like, yeah, you know, we'll get back out there. What are you going to do? <laughs> he, Nick knows how to get press. He, he would never shy away from getting some attention to those answer racing and all the people that back him. No, no. So he was in the middle of the race with Aaron Bates. He had a good interview. Uh, Tommy Hahn, by the way, I don't know. He cases something and then goes over the triple and drops his bike and grabs his arm. So perhaps Tommy Hahn suffered a serious injury on this night. Don't really remember. Michael Lessie's on the MCR Suzuki and crashes out early, but then gets up and gets 16th. But uh, anyways, but um, so really I'm we... looking at... Uh, hold on. I got, hold on. I, okay. I, I just discovered something here. Okay. In the heat race of the 250 class, there's actually a battle between Bruce Rutherford, Jean-Carlos Ramos, and one Vince Freezy uh, battling mm. to get into the main in the 7-8-9 positions. Top nine go to the main. And uh, Freezy and Rutherford got penalized for jumping on the red lights and also Scott Champion. Um, but they all managed to squeak in. They were penalized one position each, but they still made it in. So Rutherford, Ramos, and Freezy with a big battle on nice. the bubble. Nice. Yes. Uh, yes. Lit Kid Award for this race. Like I said, they didn't show a whole lot of guys. I didn't like what Dunge was wearing. It, it wasn't wasn't great. Um, you know, I might go. I might go a random uh, surprise on this one. And I don't remember ever liking the Thor Pro Circuit stuff. You know, they always wore the lesser line uh, that Thor had, like not the top of the line stuff. And they oh, always look, they always looked this. Yeah, they never wore the top of the line stuff. It was just something that Thor wanted what? to do. Yep. Yep. Wow. So, or very rarely, I should say. And so, anyways, my point being is Dean Wilson stuff, Rattray stuff. I like it. Looks really good. Um, I might go with uh, Dean Wilson for Lit Kid Award. Uh, the H and H guys look good. Tedesco. Um, and Hanny look pretty good in shift on the Cowies, but I will go with Dean Wilson and the Pro Circuit stuff. I thought it, it had some pinstripes in it, it had some black in it. You know what I mean? So yeah, like I really liked it. So okay, yeah, um, yeah. This is still kind of a weird era for gear, as far as I'm concerned. Um, I'll just go with Reed's shift stuff because it was the least offensive. It was just kind of normal. Okay. Um, yep. Like uh, yeah, Dungeons and Fox, right? And obviously Fox usually does a good job, but I feel like we were still in a little bit of. Yeah, crazy swirly. Uh, when people say they like gear being clean, this was not the era for you. No, no, it wasn't. No, nope, absolutely not. So no. um, uh, I'll go. I'll go. Uh, Dean Wilson. You can go. Reed. That that that's good too. Um, mm-hmm. Where's JT? Lee at Reraceables category. Where's JT? Didn't make the main this night, and we, oh. we and we checked in with him, and mm-hmm. uh, quote unquote, I was very slow. I told team <laughs> I was I was I was retiring after this season that night actually. So JT in round two had already decided that this was his last uh, last year, and, and this, <laughs> I was very slow. This was the JT what happened season uh, on the podcast all year long. Um, he what he he didn't have a very good year. Yeah, I see him here sixth in the LCQ. Yep, yep. That's not getting it done. No, um, no, poor JT. Gosh, you could just go through. I mean, we could you could just read every single name in every result of every race and have a story. Because I'm seeing Austin Stroop on the Valley Yamaha, um, I think crashing out of the of the LCQ. There's just so much <laughs> to unpack here. Yeah, uh, JT was edged out by Jeff Alessi. Just so much stuff. Yeah, you know that might have been that might have been the clincher. 
Oh, you think? Yeah, like yeah, if you're maybe. following the 801, you're like, <laughs> you yeah, this is this is <laughs> it, you know. Um. All right. So, uh, last categories for Lee at Reraceables: uh, the Jacob Marsak Award, uh, presented in honor of the rider who did the best that you never ever thought about and never realized. And I think uh, Rattray's third qualifies. Uh, I, Rattray Outdoors, badass, right? Won a bunch of races, um, all of that. He's He's got one career Supercross win. I believe it was Oakland. Uh, Tyler Rattray does. And um, not a lot of podiums. Like I'm kind of looking at his stats here in front of me. He's got a second. Well, this was, if I have this right, uh, didn't Rattray somehow lead the points after two races? Because he went 2-3? That would have been, would that have been this year? Yeah, I think so. He had like two podiums and everybody else, you know, it's just the averages, two rounds, short yeah. sample size. I think he went like two, three, I think or three, right. three, and he had the points lead and we were just going nuts all week that he had the red plates. And I remember even joking with him about it and him being like, oh yeah, I'm a super crosser. Oh yeah. 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 yeah I'll go, I'll go Rattray who, yeah, got three or four career podiums in Supercross, And this was one of them. Jacob Marsak okay. award. What about you? Yep. Uh, I think I'll take the, I think I'll take the Travis Baker sixth. And let me see, like, the guys that are right ahead of him, Muscan, Anstey, Anderson, Sealy, Tomac. If you're Travis Baker, you hang your hat on. You oh, finish Travis right Baker, behind Mark. Travis Baker got 10th. Oh, I'm looking at a heat race. Um, but you could, you could do that, too. But you know what? Wait a minute. I'm not sure that it's not much. <laughs> it might be just as impressive, you know, who finished right ahead of him. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Anstey, Izzy, Anderson, Osborne, Sealy, Tomac, Rattray, Muscan, Wilson. If you're Travis Baker and you got beat by those guys... Yeah, I'm all right with it. You got beat I'm, by a I'm guy. Taking that, the guy that right ahead of you swept uh, the nation's motocross, the nation's motos one year, which is a you know just an amazing thing to do. Yeah. And Anderson's a champion, and Osborne's a champion. Uh, Sealy never did win a championship, but certainly won a lot of yeah, races. Yeah, really good. Right. Uh, Tomac, Rattray, Marvin, world, world champion Dean. Rattray, world champion uh, Marvin. Yeah, yeah, right. So. Yeah, I'll take that tenth. All right, Travis yep. Baker, everybody. Uh, I'll, t- I'll yeah, uh, I understand it, and I accept the uh, the award nomination. All right. Hey, uh, have you noticed on these uh, results here, the AMA <laughs> never change. AMA it has the winner's average speed marked down. Do you see this? No, I'm on the vault. I'm not on the AMA one. Okay, yeah. uh, you're really missing out at amasuperhost.com. So, uh, Dean Wilson, congratulations! Winner's average speed, eighty three thousand two hundred eight point nine miles per hour. Wow. 83,000 wow. MPH. Yeah. Dean Wilson, winner's average speed. Congratulations. 83,000 miles per hour. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And second place was 82,000 miles per hour. Well, that's why I didn't get it done. It, Marvin, you want to win? You got to go 83,000. Just please, what? just never change. Just never, <laughs> ever. What is that? How does it happen? Change. What is that? It, it, winner's I, average speed, 83,000 MPH. <laughs> I don't know, but this is why this podcast is great because these are the things where you go back and you're just like, what the hell was going on, right? Yep. Yep. It's yep. Uh, it's fantastic. Yep. Uh, all right. Thanks to Ryan Dungey for jumping on uh, the Lee at Reraceables uh, presented by the folks at Maxis and Scott. 2012 Phoenix, not a great race, but a momentous time. Uh, in the uh, in the sport of Supercross and Motocross, I believe, for, for an OEM that we are in 2021 and they are still kicking ass to this day. And it all started with Kelly Smith and then it jumped, oh. and then it jumped to Dunge. Oh, and then, I see. Okay, yeah, exactly. I see. Well, I'll see. They're having a big event tonight as they launch the new factory edition, which that whole concept started with this 2012 bike. And I'll see if there's a plaque for you as part of the, the, the presentation. Well, 
Raj and I did that podcast, a yeah. little, you know, and yeah. I, I seemed to me like he should have got on it a little bit. Like it was right. I thought it was on his list. It yep. se- seemed like he was on it. So yeah, we'll uh, so. let me know about <laughs> <Yes>. that. Um, <laughs> all right. Thanks for listening, everybody. Appreciate it. Thanks to Lee, Scott, uh, and Maxis and Weege. Thank you, buddy. All right. See ya.